welcome BRSU and the world to The Innovator, episode three, From Classroom to Coach. We're here with Guillaume, uh, who was a classroom teacher at Dorset and now one of our coaches. Uh, my name is Bjorn Barrent, and we have my co-host, Skylar. Dude, Aloha. this is audio. You could actually have to say something. <laughs> He's just waving <laughs> to the camera. It was a nice way. Well, more was. people want more people watch the video anyway, right? Uh, yeah, they do at this point, right? Until we get circulated on um, different. Yeah, I think we need at least platforms. five episodes for that to happen. Yep, uh, and then we'll start getting picked up there, and then you can listen to us. Then you can subscribe to us using uh, like Spotify and all in you and iTunes and all those and Google podcast we'll be on all those we just got to get to that at least five mark <laughs> so Should okay jump, jump right in yeah jump in tell us about yeah. yourself <laughs> yeah so from the beginning right so how did you get into education where did you teach prior um share with us your journey yeah. an abbreviated version <laughs> The first thing I want to say is I really hope you're editing this because I just got a Mac is about to go asleep error message. Sorry, I'll be right back with my cord. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not editing this in. <laughs> oh, no, but we can um, cut, cut out dead air or whatever. No, we're not going to cut out dead air. We're going to fill this in. <laughs> you guys really are not editing this at all. No, we're not. This is a one-shot deal. That's awesome. All right. That's a great place to start. I'm a big picture idea person, not good at details, like plugging my computer in. <laughs> um, gosh, I don't know what else, what else is relevant about me. I grew up in Wyoming, kind of took some time off from school and poked around, lived in various places around the world. Uh, came to Vermont to go to Bennington College where I got my MAT and worked for a time down in Massachusetts teaching fourth grade at Pine Cobble and then came up to Dorset. Great, until last, well, until this, yeah, last year, right? So I think one of the things that we'll, we'll talk about is um, your experience or seek to understand like your experience being a teacher um, into going into this period of building shutdown, how that affected you. I know that you were in kind of a, not necessarily a different situation than some of your colleagues, but I know that you um, had integrated technology into your classroom prior um, and saw a great benefit when, like, with that previous experience when the school building shut down. So, do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, I think I was in a, a super different position from a lot of people just by um, sheer dumb luck and enjoying technology. So I had, um, I had a class last year that was maybe more varied in terms of their entry level skills when they came to me than any group I've ever had before. And so I was doing a lot of, um, a lot of differentiation um, which you always do, of course, but more than in a typical year, um, which pushed me towards putting everything online onto my Google site. And so I luckily had already a system in which I was pushing things out through Google Classroom and kids were referencing them there and finding the materials they needed for whatever they were working on that day on the Google site. Um, yeah, it saved me. 
it saved me because then when we closed down, they were able to really hit the ground running in a different way rather than having to learn how to use all of those systems. Um, mind you, it was still crazy because when you're in the classroom and the kids are like, wait, which page of your Google site? I can't find it. Then you can say, well, bring me your Chromebook and I'll show you and walk you through it. Um, so it's not that it made it easy, but it gave me a little leg up in that way. And I was really grateful for that. Yeah. I remember coming on board and uh, you were one of the first teachers that when I went to uh, Dorset, they're like, you got to go meet, go talk to Guillaume. And I did. And I remember sitting there for, God, it was almost an hour. Just you and I chit chatting um, about the way you're teaching your class, what tools you were using. Um, a lot of it, I think, had to do with like the workflow because that was a big thing for you. For sure. I remember I was looking, we were talking, you and I, about trying to develop a badging system for my Google site because I wanted it to unlock pages for kids only once they had completed previous work. I'm still waiting for that, by the way. That would be really helpful. <laughs> I think I got a badging system, but I don't think I got it done that way. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. But it was cool because it was just, it was a good insight into, um, and like I said, I'm always been about workflow and that was the conversations you and I were having, how to make this really easy and simple for students to, to follow and move along. Um, yeah. And that was the best part of that conversation. Well, I'm a big believer in putting kids in the driver's seat of their own education. So I, I really like to have my classroom set up so that they know what to do. They know what they're trying to learn. They know what their next step is. Um, and that's all about workflow. That's all about workflow. Because if I hold that information in my head, then they can't be independent. Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest challenges of shutting down um, school buildings, right? Is you had kind of laid that groundwork with the technology as a part of that workflow versus if a classroom teacher either didn't have the resources, time or um, confidence in integrating technology in that way, they were at a significant disadvantage where it was now, okay, what are we gonna do? from March until June and what is that going to look like? You know, the uncertainty of the AOE and the the kind of timeline that was rolled out, like we might be returning to school on this date or or we might extend it for another two weeks until eventually, right? It was almost a relief when it was, we're not going to return this school year um, because then that unknown, there were a lot of unknowns, you know, at that point, um, specifically around the virus and, and how it spreads and, and all of that. Um, but it certainly didn't help to have these kind of false deadlines, right? It kind of gave people false hope, like we're going to get back to business as usual. Um, and then eventually it was, here's, here's the school year. So I know that that was um, a really difficult transition for, for me personally. I know for BJ, we've never worked longer hours. Um, we've never tried to anticipate more problems than, than we did during that time frame. Um, I've never grown professionally as much. I've never become familiar with more tools at the, all at once. Like it was wild. Uh, and I know that teachers certainly felt that pressure. Students felt that pressure, families in general. So it was a really difficult time. Um, and the reason I'm like building this all up is because it was a time that you decided you wanted to essentially engage in a career change um, <laughs> <laughs> and shift your role. Right. So um, it's interesting. Like it, it interests me. Right. And when you had applied for the position, um, that I was kind of in charge of hiring for, right? It was exciting, but it was, it was, um, 
I don't want to say surprising, right? Because I think it's it, it's a chaotic time for everyone, and it still, in a lot of ways, is chaotic. Um, but I'd just be interested to to hear about um, the decision to shift from coaching. Like, what what made you arrive, or to shift from classroom teaching to coaching? What made you arrive at that decision? And then um, from there, we'll go a little bit deeper into like the differences between the two roles and how your experience, both in the classroom in a traditional setting, but also the experience of a building level shutdown has helped you build relationships and help people through um, this crazy school year that we're still in. There's a lot there, Skylar. There's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, this was like talking a lot and having to throw Skylar off that I was mentioning. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So start at the beginning. Um, for you, that maybe looked like a surprise. For me, that's something that I was already considering. Um, so I had for a while been thinking about um, how I can have a greater impact on education. I, I really got into teaching because I was a really, really miserable student. I really was a miserable child in a lot of ways. I hated school. Um, and I just don't want kids to be in that position. And so I'm one of those, you know, I feel like there are two kinds of people who go into teaching, right? People who love school and want to keep doing it and see themselves in charge and people who hate school and want to make it better for the world. Uh, and I definitely fell into the latter category. Um, and so I love being in the classroom. <laughs> yeah, that was me too. Yep, that, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, me too. If you're, if you're listening and not watching the video, they're both pointing at themselves here. So, <laughs> so I love being in the classroom. I love being able to help individual students um, just have a better experience and try to find their voices and own their education in a different way. Um, but the longer I was in the classroom, I became increasingly frustrated with how small my ability to affect change was. It's one thing to try to make a better year for the handful of students in any given class who really are unhappy in school. Um, obviously, you want them all to have a good year, but you know, there's that particular focus on hooking those kids who aren't invested. Um, and there's a big difference between that, having that impact on those few kids and making systemic change. And I really would like to be able to help make systemic change that helps all kids get invested, whether that's something that's particularly on their teacher's radar that year or not. Um, and so I was already thinking about moving um, towards administration, thinking about moving into a coaching role when one came up. I didn't anticipate one was gonna come up this year. I was thinking in two or three years um, and sort of really went back and forth about, do I wanna throw my hat in the ring this particular year in the middle of all this chaos? And then I thought, well, it's a great opportunity to dive in and try to help, especially because I do feel comfortable with the technology. I thought it might be a year I could really do some good. So here I am. Awesome. There was yeah. one you asked me, but I don't remember what oh, the other yeah. stuff was. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to get uh, quite a bit ahead of myself to Bjorn's point. But anyway, um, so right, that's that's a distinction that I want to talk about, right? I know that technology is is definitely in your wheelhouse, and it's a skill set that you bring to the table. So that part, right, is particularly pertinent to this year. Um, but I want to talk about your perspective as a coach, and a lot of people don't necessarily understand what a coach does. Um, so giving a little bit of background on that and how was the position ex what you anticipated it to be and what types of new learning have you had to engage in yourself in order to fill the role of a coach? 
I, I still don't know the answer to that question, Skylar, because, <laughs> because it is as strange a year to be a coach as it is to be a teacher. And so I feel like, you know, how far am I into this? Five months now? Um, like, I still don't know what being a coach is in a regular year. Um, and so I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Time will tell. I, I anticipated that um, it would be an opportunity for me to do some things that I was already doing in my building, um, such as being a reference for people, helping people get comfortable with new curricular materials or programs um, or technologies, um, which is something that I just kind of naturally do, reach out to other teachers and help them. Um, and I also have tried to make a point um, of being a reflective voice on the team, of asking if things are working and what the outcome is for students and for our culture as a school and for learning. Um, and it is certainly both of those things. Does it look the way that I thought it would look? Um, no, but also given this year, I didn't have any idea how it might look, so. <laughs> no, it's fun. I mean, I actually, I remember the coaches talking about that last year. And I think they still didn't know the answer. They knew they were busy and they knew they were helping a lot of people, but it's one of those roles that from someone outside looking in seems to be a jack of all trades and where needed. I, I don't know, Skyler, is that? Yeah, I mean, right. It's, it's as, as we know, it's about relationships. And I know that you are housed um, at Dorset for the most part. Right, but you also work with Sunderland, and those are teachers that you may not have had pre-existing relationships with, and certainly not like you had with the teachers at Dorset. Um, so it's interesting the coaching skill set. Like when we founded the program a couple of years ago, it very much was it was within my first two weeks of being the director of teaching and learning. Uh, we had hired these four ladies and sat down and said, "What is this going to look like?" And we chalked it out over the period of two weeks. Um, and like any good plan, right, we threw it out the window within two days of actually um, implementing it. And um, I think it is very much as needed, right? And, and we have this situation right now uh, where relationships, you know, relationship safety and trust for teachers and students, but also for staff members, right? So in a lot of ways, the coach um represents exactly that someone to build a relationship with to feel your voice is heard um, i know that you have the audience of both principals um, at least once a week in theory and you discuss what's going on at the school and how you can assist um, and i'm assuming and I, I certainly i know when i hear from teachers that they have concerns i touch base with the principals and let them know and and um, support them in supporting teachers so i feel like in a lot of ways that's coaching but it's a lot deeper than that um and this yeah. year oh, go ahead i was gonna say that's one of the things that really surprised me is i imagined it would be sort of uh you know a little bit of catch as catch can like can you help me fix my chromecast or whatever that sort of stuff um which i'm always happy to jump in and help people and then the formal meetings like you imagine those formal meetings where you sit down with your coach um, and you discuss your plan to teach the Civil War, or whatever it is that you're teaching. Um, and that portion of my job is very much 
as I expected it to be, which is to say it's a major component of it and it sort of plays out like I imagined it would. What I did not expect was the informal give and take nature of what you're describing there, where I am just sort of a, um, a general support person for the building in terms of morale, in terms of communication, in terms of um, helping people feel like they can have some agency in their situation. Um, I'm, I'm finding that I'm often a place where teachers come just when they feel stressed and they just need an ear because I'm not sitting in front of kids, right? I'm, I'm a private place that they can go and unburden themselves and how often that those conversations then turn into something productive. Like, oh, well, maybe I can talk to Skylar about this or maybe I can talk to Rosanna or to Jen about this and we can find some solutions. Um, it's really nice to feel like I can help in ways that nobody anticipated that there was a help mm -hmm. to be found, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, this, this year is particularly, it's just different, right? Because no longer do you have the ability to like, go into a teacher's room and bring donuts or bagels or coffee to people and be like, let's hash it out. Or I'm going to set up, you know, when we first started coaching, their coaches did that. They would bring something, a baked good of some persuasion, right? Because everybody, the, the way to a teacher's heart is through their stomach. Um, and they would sit down in the, in the staff room and be like, I'm here if you want to connect, right? That, that was like as DIY, it felt like, you know, uh, that, as we were, it was just, we're going to sit down we're going to be available. And this is how we're going to start the whole process. Now, this year is quite a bit different where you kind of actively have to touch base with people through a video meeting um, because we don't have people traveling between classrooms. I know it's been uh, challenging for BJ as well. Um, in a way, it's, it's a little bit easier for someone like BJ because he has six different schools. Uh, and for me, right, I meet with administrators at all six schools and no longer do I have to travel so much uh, and I don't lose minutes that way. But it's just not the same, right? It's not like a you're not in the zone and, and like living and breathing the educational experience that we all have elected to become professionals in, you know? Um, so I think that... Uh, this year, there's a specific focus around technology. And I'm hoping that as you've come along, granted, you said it's only been five months, um, but we can start to see that it's it's less about the tools and more about the teaching. And I think For that, sure. yeah, that mm -hmm. so if you have any perspective on that concept, if it's less about the tools and more about the teaching, I know early on it was about the tools, but we're kind yeah. of getting into this phase where it's more about the teaching. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's been a really interesting trajectory to watch, um, to watch teachers go through where at the beginning of the year, I was running all day, every day, you know, often into the evening, helping people, um, learn how to use their various systems and, and figure out the tools. And it was so much about that. That was so much of their time. Um, and then we sort of went into this lull where people like manage the tools and went on to trying to manage other sorts of things um, and didn't come to me as much. And now people have the space to stop and think like, okay, I've been using this tool. I've been using Seesaw or Google Classroom or iReady or whatever it is. And um, and how can I make it do more? Is it, really, is it really helping my students meet their educational goals? And how can I tweak it or finesse it or support them better to help them get there? Um, and so now I'm having a lot more conversations around that with people like, well, great. Now your students are all fluent in how to use this thing. 
now how can we take it up a notch and make sure that they're getting a deep quality education using it? I think it's really astounding the amount of professional growth that teachers of all levels in all of our schools have demonstrated this year. And I don't necessarily think that they give themselves enough credit um, or that they recognize how far they've come. And it, it, the thing about something like Seesaw, right, is it's not just, okay, how do I digitize this lesson? Like I can't just scan this sheet and put it in, or I can't, I mean, I can do that, right? But is that utilizing the tool in, to teach in a way that it should be utilized? Um, and I, early on, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of like, if we think about the, the SAMR model of tech integration, it was a lot of just, I'm gonna digitize, I'm gonna scan a PDF of this worksheet and distribute it to kids. And that was great. It was like a survivability tactic, right? I needed to survive the early rollout of this. And now I have the luxury of talking with principals as they do these kind of virtual walkthroughs. Um, and we see some stuff that's really dynamic. And it's, it's fantastic to see. And I think honoring that professional growth or recognizing that professional growth, it's something that we tried to do um, in the spring. And we gave people X amount of hours. I think it was like 25 hours towards relicensure without any formal like bean counting of minutes, right? It was like, you all grew a lot and here's 25 hours. Um, and even that doesn't do it justice, right? Because there are people that uh, in the strangest of places really that have amplified everything they're doing. And it's it's so awesome to see. Yeah, and I think that's a good, I'm gonna transition in here. That's also a good difference between my role as the tech innovation specialist and the coaching role uh, where early on, I mean, mine was, how do you use, how do you insert a page? How do you record the video of Seesaw? How do you physically use the functions of a program? And then I think where the coaching really came in and really elevated that is, okay, now you know how to click the buttons. How do you apply that to education and teaching and learning? And I think that's a big difference difference between the tech integration people and the instructional coaches. For sure. And teachers are doing such cool things that are that you don't necessarily see when you poke around in their Google classrooms. I mean, there are teachers doing phenomenal, flashy things, you know, with their bitmojis and whatnot. And they're cool. They're really cool. But there is also a lot of neat stuff happening. Um, behind the scenes that's that you wouldn't necessarily notice just by looking at their LMS where teachers are looking at how can I wield this situation to do something better um, you know I'm I'm working with one teacher who's thinking a lot about how he can wield the LMS to um, focus less on compliance and more on mastery of skills. And so, you know, how can I take away from say grading every single assignment by providing, you know, this teacher is providing answer keys right on the LMS and asking for students to um, video themselves and walk through a problem and how they solve it and why it works. Um, and then at the end he does, you know, at the end of the week, he does like a little here, two or three solve problems, solve them make a video to demonstrate it. And so, you know, maybe the first week he had some kids who just like looked at the answer key and wrote down the answers and turned them in. And then they very quickly got that kicked back to them and needed to do it again. I don't think that he would have taken that step if he weren't forced to put everything through the LMS because then that, it 
takes him forcibly off of the stage there. It puts them onto the stage of his screen and it just makes you think differently. Like how can I, oh, now that kids are on the stage, what can they do? What can they show me? How can they own their learning a little bit more? Right, I think that that is a perfect point um, around the concept of owner, student ownership, right? It's like the one who does the work does the learning. And when you have reflective assessment like that, it's no longer fill in the blank. It's you now have the skills as a, as a student and it, we should pay the respects that students are due to, they learn how to use this technology as well, right? And there was a conceptually like executive functioning wise, a lot of, a lot of folks or I think education as a whole, expect kids to know how to use technology because of the generation they grew up in. They, or like specifically eighth graders, right? It's likely that they've had cell phones for a bit, maybe a few years, depending on the family, et cetera. So they're, people anticipate that these kids are fluent with the technology and they probably are, but they're not necessarily fluent with the technology to use it in a way that demonstrates their learning. Um, and now, now they're having that opportunity and exactly that, right? When you put the onus of the work, like explain your thinking and you and you say, record it because we provided you the tools to record it. You know, you're gonna learn a lot about what that kid knows, understands and is able to do in a way that you may not have in the past. So again, that's like, that's a teaching practice that we can all aspire to. It's, I would say significantly more challenging to do it when you, you don't set that expectation or use that tool to your point, Guillaume, to expect kids to do this without video, um, if you have a class of 20 kids, are they all gonna give a five minute oral explanation of, of um, their understanding in front of everybody in the class? You know, that's gonna take a significant amount of time. Whereas if you say your demonstration of learning consists of you explaining your thinking on a recording, it's significantly shorter. It's a static point where you can reference and kids can improve upon. Um, I just think it's fantastic. So I think that kids have grown in ways uh, and they're able to demonstrate their learning in ways that they may not have been able to in the past. So it's not only teachers are utilizing that tool for that, but it's like kids are put in the position to be able to do it in a way that's relatively low stakes too. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid and had to give an oral report, I was like terrified. I didn't want to stand up in front of the class, right? And it's a little bit easier to just record yourself, I think. Yeah, definitely. Now, Goyam, how with all this, the in addition to um, what Skyler is saying about it being a little bit easier there, how about differentiation? Are you starting to see that a little bit more where students are at different points of the learning? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's another teacher who I've been working with um, who has found just because of the, the nature of the material has found differentiation to be difficult sometimes in the past. Um, and it, because of the LMS has totally done all these different pre-assessments and grouped kids on their LMS and is assigning different work to different groups. The kids don't even know it unless they're sitting and they're looking at each other's screen. They have no idea who is getting which work. It doesn't show in classroom. You know, they can't see which other students got the same assignment as them. So it's really freeing him up to be able to meet those kids at their specific levels without any shame or any need for bravado. Um, and they're learning. They're learning and growing in ways that they were not before. Do you see us being able to pull that back into next year when it's no longer hybrid? Yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I think it would be crazy not to now that people know how to do it. (laughs) And it's that, you know, that's why I started doing it last year, even before everything shut down, because it takes away um, that pressure where you don't want to call over necessarily to your table. Like you do kind of want to call over the kids who are all struggling with division and work with them, but you also want to single them out and be like, okay, you 16 kids know how to do this on your own. You three kids come work with me because you can't handle this material. Um, it totally takes that pressure off. If you can just record a little video tailored to those three kids and push it out to them either on your your Google site or your LMS or through email if you want it to be super private. I mean, there's so many avenues that you can do it with. Um, but to be able to meet those kids without singling them out, it's huge. So I think that that's one of the things that I, I also want to draw light to is is that concept of differentiation and meeting kids where they are, right? That That's just good teaching practice regardless of technology. It's one of those instances where technology this year, hopefully people are seeing that um, because we're building student proficiency with the tools and teacher proficiency with the tools is just part of a requirement of sheer survival for this year. Those types of things uh, and our, I guess, expansion of one-to-one devices for kids from K to eight now unlock all of these ways to do it and that we didn't have access to before. And, And no one is saying that technology is the key to everything because you've heard me Guillaume at coaches meeting talking talking about like the biggest technology tool is the teacher like that's it without the teacher nothing can happen um, good teaching requires a teacher and back um, in the early early movement for like ed tech integration right there was this feeling that uh, people are going to be replaced by automated instructional programming and, and I know uh, I, that's what I already had that's kind of the the reputation I already had for a number of years where I ready instruction, you know, it's threatening to people because it's going to replace them. It absolutely doesn't. And I know that our teachers are finding that out now. Um, but still, the, a, a good quality instruction delivered by a teacher will has no equal. And it's important that people understand that. It might feel different when that instruction is not delivered uh, in the same room as kids, but it actually is almost better in a way because now you have that instruction captured on video. It's a static point that kids can go back and refer to. And also all of the hard work that teachers have put into planning out their school year and using these resources, that's not going to go away either. It's all archived in a Google Classroom or in a Seesaw. So going into next year, they'll have a point of reference for the types of things that they were doing and they can reuse resources or improve upon um, lessons after they've delivered them and maybe reflect on, yeah, that didn't go so well. Yeah, that to be able to go back and have your things there, to have your lessons there, to have a recording, that you can, you know, you have, you've got one student, say, who is struggling with a concept or came in from a different school and didn't have that unit that the kids who moved up within your school had, to be able to just pull that video out and shoot it to them on email and say, here, here's this thing, it'll catch you up. That's phenomenal. And think about, you know, parent communication. Like you think five years ago, you had a struggling student who kind of mostly knew what they needed to do. You wanted them to finish up their 
essay, their multiplication worksheet, their whatever it is, you know, they needed two more hours. So you want to send it home, but then they're going to tell mom and dad, they don't know what to do. And how do you handle that? And mom and dad don't know because school is so different now from how it was in the eighties or nineties when they were in school, pardon my phone. And so, you know, it used to be this big hurdle. So now instead of calling the kid over to have a little conference and give them a pep talk and tell them what to do, you spend two minutes, you make a video telling the kid exactly what you would tell them while they're standing at their desk, pretending they're not embarrassed to be standing at your desk and trying not to watch the kids across the room, which is what they're doing when you're talking to them anyway. You record a little video, you send it to them, you CC mom and dad, everybody has the same instruction, everybody's on the same page, like that the ability for parents to be more supportive because they get a front seat in your instruction instead of a back seat is huge. They can do so much more for their kids and they want to. I, when I look at the possibility, that is one of the biggest places where I see it, where I feel like as a, as a system, educators tend to put parents like on the other side of the table instead of sitting beside them as partners in their child's education. And all of this has shown us that we really can wield these tools to bring parents in, to be our partners, to help with their, their kids' education. And I think it's helping parents see that they need to. They need to step in and have a more active role in their kids' education. So that's one place where really differentiation and being able to bring parents into the loop, I think, are the two biggest, highest leverage, if you want to go with the lingo, areas that we can carry forward. Great, thanks. BJ? <laughs> Me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are we doing? Lessons learned or a guest tip? Where are we going? Let's, let's uh, well, lessons learned we've kind of covered in the last yeah. 10, 15 minutes. I was hoping we'd pick that one though, because I'm not sure what a guest tip is. Was I supposed to come up well, with a tip? <laughs> well, here's the thing. We figured out that you know, I started the podcast, I gave it a name and you're always looking for those other things you can do. And I realized the innovator podcast, because I always abbreviate everything literally spells tip. Okay. <laughs> so we have a guest tip. I think it's better that you didn't plan for it. <laughs> oh, <geez. Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that statement. <laughs> um, is there one thing that you just want would give a tip to any listener, um, whether they are thinking about becoming a coach, whether they are a coach, a teacher, that you're now a coach? I mean, just where do you think would be a good tip for a listener of this podcast? A tip about coaching? I don't know. Oh, gosh. <laughs> right. I would frame it a little bit differently, right? I would say um, something like kind of a lesson learned and the tip comes together. So when we did last week, we spoke or last episode, rather, we spoke with Jen Turner, the principal at Sunderland. And we said, you know, what is one kind of takeaway? So the tip is the takeaway, the, the thing to think about um, going forward. So if there's anything specific that you can kind of parting words or... Um, yeah. Um, okay. So I guess BJ threw me a little bit when you said like, if you wanted to become a coach, I was like, oh gosh, I don't. <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah. Really yeah. so okay. I can throw myself off the rails too. So <laughs> no, no amount of tips will prepare anyone to become a coach. Yeah, yeah. I guess 
I feel like, no, that's true, Skylar. Um, the biggest takeaway is um, to remember, you know, for everybody who's not a coach, which is the vast majority of people in our organization, that coaches are, we are big picture think thinkers by nature. Um, that's part of what draws us into this. And it's really easy, um, even if you're a big picture thinker as a teacher, when you're in the weeds of teaching in your classroom, it's hard to take a step back and get that perspective. Um, and so if you feel like something could be better or different or has Did she just freeze? Yeah, it, she was like just at the point of dropping some serious knowledge. Ah! <laughs> and then it froze. Am I still frozen? No, you're back now. You're back. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I go. So I was I was saying if you um if you feel like something has potential or could be could be better, but you don't know how, you've got that like amorphous uh, there's something here feeling that is when to go to your coach. That's exactly when, because what we are really good at is asking questions and defining the problem with you, um, which is what will spur a solution to come down the road. And the solution may not come from us, it may come from you, it may come from somebody else, um, but it's, it's that like vague, gosh, I don't know, there's something here, I could do something better, that's what we're there for. That's when to come knock on our door and be like, can I just tell you about this situation? We'll probably be able to help somehow. That is fantastic. Yeah, exactly that. I, it just bums me out that you were, you're right on the cusp and I had like tons of suspense and then it froze. But that, no, this is the nature of the beast, right? We all have issues with the technology that we're, we're tasked with working with. And I so think you articulated that beautifully. Like it's exactly that. Um, I always think back to when I was a classroom teacher, right? And it's always like people don't necessarily think about your personal experience. Like they start to tune out when you talk about yourself, right? Um, but I, there were certainly instances at, when I was a classroom teacher where I felt like I was in the zone. And I, you know, you're like, you enter that state of flow and you're like, I am, this is great. I'm teaching. This is it happening exactly as I planned, right? And then at the end of the class period, you take a look at your exit ticket and it's like, I taught really well, but they didn't learn it. So what what could, what could did I do, right? And at that point um, where I was teaching, there wasn't the opportunity to have a, a support person or to have someone come and assist and help me unpack maybe where I went wrong or uh, did I miss an opportunity? You know, was I so excited about teaching this concept that I just missed the fact that kids weren't learning it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think our coaching system is exactly that. It provides an opportunity for a teacher after an experience delivering instruction and working with kids to really, if they enter that area, that's kind of like, huh, that didn't necessarily go how I planned, or they're not really where I want them to be after that, or they just didn't get it. Having the ability to connect with a coach, I think is awesome. Yeah, and also, like, I think we think of coaches as being there for when things don't go right, but also when they're going well, you know? Also, when you have that feeling of, like, oh, my God, that was phenomenal. I could literally see the light bulbs going off in their eyes. How else could I wield this? Right. What's my step? Yeah. How do I capture this momentum? Sure, sure. right. Yeah. How do I replicate this and apply it to other content as well? Yeah. Like, what, it was, what specific nuanced practice did I do that kind of lit them on fire, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, because one thing we want to we want to move away from is people feeling like working with a coach is identifying a problem right. or somehow calling them out as you didn't do it right because we're just another person to talk things over with and help spark ideas and help that continuous improvement. Yeah, something you said early on in the show just resonated with me is that you know things are going well with your LMS and they said, well, how can I even improve upon that? What what's the next step? And the yeah. excitement toward that. And I, that was awesome. It's like, yeah, things are working well. Let me just get that big picture. I love that <laughs> big picture. See, you got the tip. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it um, for just that other view. And I think that's amazing. So um, thank you. Yeah, that was awesome. So I think I think our plan is, um, and we'll before we wrap it up, I'll just kind of lay it out. And I don't know if I've even told BJ, but essentially uh, I get, I'm the one that's responsible for scheduling guests and stuff, right? And uh, I think we're going to do a series and we're going to have all the coaches come in. So you're the first, right? Okay. And as, as the newest, you're the first. So I think next we're going to try to do Nicole Zemp, who's the coach at Courier in Medowi. Um, and she came to us from not in Vermont at all. And she'll provide an interesting perspective as her transition, you know, from the tasks that she's had. And then uh, we would wrap up that series. And, and I talked to Sonia um, Thorley and Robin Sirwa yesterday, and they're, they're going to join us together because um, they, they're they kind of like the OG coaches, the ones that sat in that room for two weeks and hashed out this thing, and we're doing it. So it's, yep. it's going to be great to have these perspectives. And I hope that they listen to this one, and I hope that they can like think about that kind of tip that you mentioned and expand upon and, and make sure that their voice is heard saying that same type of concept right yeah and i gotta admit i mean this is my second year here and having the coaches has helped me too so i mean i, I reach out to them probably just as much as the teachers do <laughs> <laughs> as much as we reach out to you though probably not <laughs> it's a give and take as it should be Jordan, as it should be as it should be okay so i guess we can close this up um i want to thank everybody for listening to the innovator podcast uh, you can follow the podcast on YouTube. Uh, uh, actually, it's on my channel, The Innovator, my BRSU channel. Or if you want to listen in your car or listen, just listen without seeing funny expressions and people phoning, pointing at us. And Skyler and I both had the weird background, so we're kind of going in and out. <laughs> it's not um, like last week where your daughter emerged from your shelf behind your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do like when you gesture, your hands disappear sometimes. Yeah, it's like, ooh, let's see, like back. Yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> um, no, I think my oldest daughter's downstairs. She was doing music or chorus, so she was singing <laughs> for a little while. Uh, well, so if you don't want to see all the fun craziness that's going on, uh, you can always listen, and that's at anchor.fm slash the innovator. Uh, also, I've done a couple student podcasts with that too um the where the teacher signed up and those were kind of cool so just kind of a plug for that i encourage you to get the pod uh get the show, post comments or stuff if you're on twitter or anything else uh, use brsu innovator on your social network link to the show uh go ahead and chit chat and all that other fun jazz and as always and how i end how i end every one of my videos thank you and never stop learning Totally <laughs> true. <laughs>
Is that a tip? Uh, salt your pasta water? <laughs> yeah, know. right. Hey, I would have gone for that one too. <laughs> Anything goes. <laughs>